And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the, uh, by the, way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as, far as, as uh, Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. You may be seated. You know, I gave Curtis the text that had all the really easy names, so you, you knocked it out of the park, man. Good job. Uh, well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, it is so good for us uh, to be together. Um, for those of you who I don't know, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Brian. Uh, our other pastor, Ryan, him and his wife are, are on a mini sabbatical through the end of the month, and so they're just taking some time just to, to rest and, and just to really just uh, experience the joy uh, uh, in the Lord and just be still. And so just be praying for them um, that this season, this next few weeks would be restful. Um, it would be a time of healing and that they just would just be rejuvenated for, um, for what's ahead. So anyways, uh, one, a couple of other things I just want to lay before you before we dive into the text as well. Um, on August 4th, so we are coming up on a, a year of, of, of being a church. And so God has been so incredibly faithful. Um, this year has probably for a lot of us been a mix of emotions. Um, but one thing we can attest to regardless of where we've been is that, that God has been so uh, faithful to build his church. And so we are going to celebrate um, August 14th. Uh, we'll have a, a service this morning that just kind of we want to highlight some things of God's faithfulness. But we also that night, uh, we're going to have a pool party because we like to have fun. Uh, we're going to go to the municipal pool from 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, would love for you to come, bring your family. We'll eat, we'll, we'll celebrate, we'll hang out. So it'll be a good time. And so then last thing, uh, I promise, uh, this is my way of sneaking in the announcements. So being the announcement guy, I've got to do it. Um, no, but one more thing is, you may have noticed, if you follow us on our social media, you may have noticed on some of our stories um, that we've been sharing the texts um, that we'll be reading in the weeks ahead. Um, a couple of things on that is I want to encourage you, especially um, we are about to head into some of the hard chapters. Um, some of the things that are going to be said that aren't super palatable for our Western ears. And so, so I would encourage you, uh, spend some time, as we post these throughout the week, spend some time looking at the text that we'll be talking about on Sunday morning and just be in the text, sit with it, pray through it, uh, and just kind of have your heart be ready to be open to um, what the Lord has to say. Because they are some hard things, but on that as well, um, if you are relatively new to us uh, and you haven't been with us through the whole series of Joshua, we actually do have some scripture journals out in the, uh, uh, right outside the sanctuary. Actually, if you have a scripture journal, can you hold it up? Uh, see, there's a couple. Um, there we go. Oh, look at you guys. Way to go. Um, by the way, I see y'all started my time yet. I should have told you not to. Just kidding. Um, but anyways, if you don't have one of those, uh, they're out there um, right outside the sanctuary. They're free. Um, they have scripture on one side and just space for you to take notes on the other. So those are a gift. So we'd love for you to participate that way. So anyways, I'm done. Um, so Joshua 10. Go ahead. If you haven't turned there already, uh, verses 1 through 15 is where we're going to be looking this morning. 
So um, many of you uh, have been in my office before. Uh, you know that it's probably not the cleanest room in this building. Um, believe it or not, you, as you go in, you'll see books on the floor, papers scattered on my desk, and it is organized chaos, I promise you that. I know there's an organization, there's a method to my madness uh, on my desk, and so you may look in and see clutter. I look in and see organization, so just in the eye of the beholder, I suppose, right? Uh, but if you were to sit in my uh, chair, um, facing, um, so my chair, my chair faces kind of towards the hallway. Um, on the wall in front of you, though, you'll see a sign or a poster with a quote um, from Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo was the writer of Les Mis, which is a fantastic story. I would encourage you to read it or watch the movies, at least. The, the Hugh Jackman version is better. Um, but in, the quote says, though, um, it's, it's an incredible quote from Victor Hugo. This wasn't from the book, but this is just something he said. He says, have courage for the great sorrows of life and patience for the small ones. And when you have laboriously accomplished your ta- daily task, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. Let me read the last part again. Go to sleep in peace. God is awake. It's, that's a comforting thought. So, so for me, I have it hung up in my office. It's almost similar to um, if you've seen Notre Dame play as they're about to uh, go onto the field, they have their sign, play like a champion today. It's kind of their reminder, like, hey, play hard, um, play, you know, let's win out there, let's play like a champion. That's kind of like my play like a champion. I mean, I'm not slapping this, the poster every day, but it is there as a reminder for me um, as I'm working throughout the day, as I close my laptop and, I'm, and I get ready just to leave for the day, that at the end of the day, this world does not spin based on what I did or did not do. Our worlds do not keep going based on what we do or don't do, but rather God is the one who is sovereign and in control of all things. And we can go to sleep at peace because God is still awake. Um, God is still awake. And, and, and it, this is, this is a, why it's so comforting for me is because, yes, we know God knows all things and he sees all things. But when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're also speaking to him being the sustainer of all things. And so it's easy for us, as we think about your world right now, as you, what you brought into this room, many of you might have certain anxieties, some, some, maybe some relationships that are broken. Maybe there's some circumstances in your life that are causing deep grief and suffering. Uh, and if we're all honest, um, we don't like unknowns in our life. We don't like when we can't control things. We don't like when we can do, uh, you know, have a way in life in which we can manipulate and, and kind of get things to go our way. But what Hugo is getting at in his quote, and what we're really going to be talking about in Joshua 10 today, is that you and I can rest easy at night. We can go to sleep in peace because God is sovereign, is the sustainer of all things. As he says in Psalm 121, he who keeps you will not slumber. And so, so Joshua 10 is going to speak to the sovereignty of God. And not only that, but he's going to speak how the sovereignty of God ultimately displays the faithfulness of God to those who belong to him. That's where we're going today, is that the sovereignty of God displays the faithfulness of God to those who belong to him. And so we often might hear the phrase that God is sovereign. Um, it's, it's a very churchy word, but it's actually a word that's not used in scripture very often. But it is a word that does describe a biblical concept. Um, so what do, we mean, what do we mean when we say that God is sovereign? Um, there's a couple of quotes I just want to share with you. One was from an article that I read this week. 
Um, and it says that the sovereignty of God is the fact that he is the Lord over creation. As sovereign, he exercises his rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as king, his control, control over all things, and his presence with his covenantal people and throughout his creation. Uh, or John Piper, he says it like this. He says that God, he's speaking of God's sovereignty. He says, God is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. This is what we mean when we talk about the, the sovereignty of God. But what we don't mean is that we aren't saying that we're robots. It isn't this idea that we don't have choice or we don't have uh, some kind of autonomy. But what the, it is including, what it does say and what it does mean is that no choice or action that you and I make will ever derail what God is going to do. He can use all of it. He can use our brokenness. He can use our sin. Nothing that we can do will ever derail his sovereign rule. He's not surprised by anything. And that often is, it should be an incredibly uncomforting thing for us. So, so it's not saying we're robots, but it is saying that all things we do ultimately work out for his good and perfect will. And so Joshua 10 is going to help us see how the sovereignty, God, sovereignty of God displaying the faithfulness of God is actually incredibly good news for us, incredibly comforting news for us. And so if you're with us last week, uh, uh, Ryan talked about uh, chapter nine. And in chapter nine, we see that Israel, um, so they're making their way through the promised land that God promised them. Um, this, this land that ultimately is gonna be this space where they get to live and, and be God's people. And so they're making their way through town after town. Um, and last week we looked at there was this one city which was described as a big and royal city called Gibeon. Gibeon realized that, hey, this God who Israel serves um, is not gonna be good news for us. So they come up with this, this scheme. They, they pretend to be much lowlier than they are. And they go to Joshua and they say, hey, make a covenant with us that you're not gonna destroy us. Well, anyway, so Israel, Joshua doesn't consult the Lord. They don't look to him, but yet they make this covenant with this people. And what we see at the end of the day is that God is merciful because despite the fact that ultimately these people came into covenant with Israel under deception, um, God was still merciful to bring them in. Um, God is still kind to, to bring them in. And so then when we get to uh, Joshua 10, despite Israel making this, this, this bonehead covenant um, with this group of people, God still ultimately brings them in too. Because what we see in chapter 10 is that all of a sudden Gibeon, so Gibeon was kind of in this coalition of other nations of Amorite nations, and they kind of were uh, kind of a, their allies together. Well, when we get to the beginning of chapter 10, uh, King Adonai uh, Zedek, which is really fun to say, um, he was the king of Jerusalem. Now, this was before Jerusalem was actually part of the nation of Israel. So they're there at this point in its own nation. But he hears about what Gibeon did, and he becomes greatly afraid of the Lord. And so what he does is that he submits to the Lord, repents, and trusts him. No, that's not what happened. Um, but rather, instead what he does, so he says the text does say he was greatly fearful. But instead of doing something like Gibeon did, even though they did it under false pretenses, he instead tries to rally up all the other kings of that area and say, hey, let's go attack Gibeon. Let's go attack this, this nation. Because they saw Gibeon as a traitor to this point. They were no longer a part of him. They were now joining forces. They were in a covenant relationship with, with the nation of Israel. And so now all these nations are wanting to, to come up against Gibeon and attack them and 
pretty much just take them out. And so what happens in, in then after that is Gibeon gets word of this. And then they quickly beckon on their new allies, Israel, to continue to fight for them. So let's pick it up in verse six. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at, at the camp in Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal and he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And in verse eight, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. For I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So this passage ultimately hinges on verse eight. Verse eight is the most pivotal verse in these 15 verses because what we see in the verses before it, you see man trying to devise a plan to overcome God. He, they're trying to figure out how they can overtake this nation. And what we see in one sentence, God say, their plans are ultimately gonna fail. Do not fear them. I am gonna give them into your hands. Verse eight begins with this phrase that we've heard all throughout Joshua. Do not fear. Do not fear. This should sound familiar to us. And why doesn't Joshua have to fear? Why does the Lord tell him not to fear? Because God was going to be with them. God was going to stand with them. And he was not going to deviate from the promise that he made to them, despite the mistake that they made in chapter nine. He was not going to deviate from that plan because he is faithful. And so that's why Joshua couldn't fear, didn't have to fear. God was going to be with them. And, and you, like I said, recall back in chapter one, uh, in the verse that all of us have heard, and we've talked about at length through this series, but he says, God says to Joshua, right at the get-go, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that last part, wherever you go, includes chapter 10. God had chapter 10 in mind when he said that. He's not surprised by Gibeon uh, feeling pressure from their former friends. And he's not surprised that, that he needs to step in and help. He wasn't surprised by any of this. And so whenever he says that I will be with you wherever you go, he includes chapter 10, which is on the heels of Israel, uh, not consulting him, not trusting in him. And so God is calling him to trust him. And ultimately, why could Joshua trust God? Because time and time again, God has shown himself to be in control. And he has shown himself time and time again that he was faithful and that he was with him. God was not going to all of a sudden, because they made this mistake, step away, but rather because he was a God who is faithful to his promises and he is a God who's sovereign and in control of all things. He tells them, do not be afraid. And that's what leads Joshua to trust him because God, he knew that God was with him. And if we're honest with ourselves, trusting God is one of the most most hardest things. That's a really good thing to say, right? Trusting God is the hardest thing I would say to do. Um, uh, there's not, I mean, like I said, at the same, in, in the same breath, as, as there is nothing more comforting the fact that God is in control of all things and he is faithful to those who belong to him, still at the same time, because of life and because of us inhabiting circumstances that are a bit unknown and we don't have as much control as we think we do, it's hard, right? I would say that's why it's so hard to trust God because we like control, Right? 
Don't we like control? We like to be able to know what's ahead. We like to plan. We like to make sure that we can manipulate circumstances and situations in such a way to where it's going to have favorable results for us, right? And so trusting in God is hard because sometimes we don't like the direction he might be pulling us in. For, for some of you, you might sense that he's pulling you in a direction to confess some things that you've been trying to ignore and push away. And that's scary because that's vulnerable. And, and it's all of a sudden when you pull the thread and you confess one thing, it might show other things. And that's hard. That's hard to trust God in, in that way. Some of you, God, there may be a broken relationship in your life or some kind of uh, friendship or family relationship that has gone south. And he may be calling you to forgive. And that's hard. It's hard to forgive when we're in, we've been hurt. Or for some, maybe you are in, on, the, on the brink of some big life change. And the Lord's leading you to navigate that in some way that's just ta- causing you to trust him a little bit more. There's a million different circumstances that we can think about in which we are having to trust God, but it is incredibly hard to do that because a lot of times it requires us to let go of control. Or really it requires us to realize that we don't have as much control as we think we do. And so many, of what, many things that we do, just like the kings in verses one through five, who try to devise this plan to overcome God instead of trusting him, right? ultimately those things were going to fall short. Those were a false sense of security because at the end of the day, like their plan was not going to work. They could not find comfort in their plan because ultimately their plan was not in submission to God. It wasn't going to fall, pan out the way that they thought. And so, so it's, it's this idea that we cannot, much of what we do, um, and when we try to think we have control and we're trying to not trust God, it's because we're trying to protect ourselves from something. We're trying to protect ourselves from discomfort, from pain, from rejection. So many of these things in life that we just don't like. And sometimes we will manipulate situations to, 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 to avoid those things, even though the Lord may be sometimes calling us to go into those things. And so we might think we are creating safety for us uh, when we, we, we try to control, when we try to act the part of God. We might think that we are creating something good for us, but in all reality, we won't find comfort there. Trying to find comfort uh, in our own manipulation of circumstances, our own control is like trying to take a nap on a chain-linked fence. Yeah, yeah you got the image? It's not gonna be comfortable. It's a false sense of security. You will never be fully settled. So, so trusting God is hard. But when Joshua said, when, we, when God tells Joshua, do not fear them, he says that probably because there was a little bit of fear. When we are called to trust God with wherever you feel like he's, the spirit is leading you, it is hard and there's a little bit of fear. But what we can know and what we can see is that God is with you. God is faithful and he is in control. Trusting God is a very vulnerable thing. But when we understand that he is sovereign, when we understand that he is in control, um, we, we can find peace and rest. What Paul says in, in Romans 8, 28, it's a verse that we, we all know maybe pretty well. Some of us do. He says that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And ultimately, God is able, for those who belong to him, we'll get to that in more in a second, but God is able to work out all things for the good of those who love him. And the good isn't necessarily like uh, favorable circumstances. The good is more of Jesus. 
So if God is bringing us through a season of trusting him more, whatever that might be, and at, at the end of it, we're getting more of him, that's the good. Because ultimately that's where our peace and security comes from, from him. And so the more that you know God is for you, the more you will trust him. The more that you know that God is for you and is faithful to you, the more you will go to him. And we see in this text, his faithfulness play out some more in verses eight through 13. Let me read those, let me read those again. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came uh, upon them suddenly having marched up all night from Gilgal and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with the great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way, the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Mechada. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. I love this little antidote right here. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. And in verse 12, he says, At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still at Gibeon and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. So the Lord tells Joshua that he's gonna fight for them. He's gonna be faithful to them. And a part of his faithfulness is that he was going to ultimately take care of this battle for them. And this didn't mean, again, that, like I said, when Joshua heard this promise from the Lord, do not fear that I will give them to you, it wasn't that Joshua just stood back and did nothing. He wasn't passive, but rather this, this promise from God led him to obedience. And so, uh, actually, I think we have a map, if we could show that really quick. And so, when God hears this, um, we got the map. Pretty picture, but not that. That's okay. All right. Um, so when God, when God, this probably honestly was how things look. So actually you take that visual right there. Um, but so from Gilgal to, to Gibeon, where that, this battle was going to happen was about a 20 mile hike. And so what Joshua does, they go from that place, Gilgal, and then they march 20 miles and ultimately takes, take all these foreign nations. There's five of them by surprise and overtake them. They strike them with a great blow. But one of the things that we need to notice uh, in this is that who is the active agent in most of the, the striking down, in most of the battle? The Lord. You, you see, it, so in verse eight, God says that I have, I have given, them in, given them into your hands. And then in verse 10, you see that the Lord struck them with a great blow. He was the one who did it. He was the one that threw them into a panic. And it could have been because they came in at night or they came in at night. And then we see in verse 12 and 13, this spectacular miracle, something on the same level as when, when, jo when God dried up the Jordan so they could cross or when he, po he parted the Red Seas for Moses and Israel to walk through. You see this, this, uh, this sun and moon stand still. Now there's some debate exactly what happened, but a lot of scholars think that ultimately the sun was delayed from coming up. So it was dark outside, which then in and of itself, okay, so there you go, perfect. Awesome, thank you. Um, squirrel. Uh, 
But, but then, but we see that God, uh, like I said, God ultimately caused the night to delay or caused the sun to delay and created things to be dark. So that's why these nations were thrown into a panic. And really quick, just so you can see, all those red lines were the different, uh, all the nations uh, that were coming up against Gibeon and fighting Israel. And all of those nations were the ones that ultimately the Lord destroyed. The Lord took care of them. And so, but what we see here uh, is that God being the active mover is the ultimately a reflection of his faithfulness towards his people. God fighting Israel, or God fighting uh, all these nations, um, throwing the hailstones down, causing the moon and sun to stand still, striking with a great blow. And I, it even says in verse 11, and verse 11 makes, like, it's the exclamation part, Mark, is that, Ultimately, there were more of these warriors who died because of the hailstones than, God, than, the, than Israel killed with the sword. It is, this, it is this thing that God is making the point that he was the one that did this. And we see that ultimately, that God's faithfulness to his people is in conjunction with his sovereignty. It's, it's, his, it's his faith, the faithfulness of God um, is able to happen because he is sovereign. He was able to fight for them because nothing was ultimately going to overpower God. And so he was with them and God will always stand with those who belong to him. We see this in Joshua. God is faithful to those who belong to him. And this isn't just an Israel thing. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. But we see this in the New Testament as well. When Paul in, in Acts chapter 23, he's, he's uh, uh, pretty much advocating for himself in front of the governor. And there was an angry mob of Jews who were throwing slanderous things towards him, who wanted to kill him, who really had made this, this vow that they were going to try to kill Paul. But the Lord says to Paul in Acts 23, 11, he says that the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for you have... So for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you will testify them to me in Rome. So what do we see here? We see that God is in control. He's sovereign. And the angry, the angry mob wasn't going to get to Paul. They weren't, they weren't going to kill him. God wasn't going to allow that. And we also see that God was faithful. God was faithful. He says he stood by he was with him. It echoes what we just read in Joshua 10 and also 1. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Do not be afraid. I'm going to fight for you. So, so God is always faithful to those who belong to him. Because God is sovereign, he can be faithful. Let me explain that a little bit. If God was not in control of all things, th think about that first. And before I give you an answer, think about that. What if God was not in control of all things? Could he be faithful? Think about that for a second. Can God be faithful if he was not in control of all things? No. Why? Because if he was not in control of all things, he would not be able to decide whether or not he could keep his promises. He would not be able to be able to decide that if he was going to be able to uh, stay with Israel, fight with Israel, be with us. Because if there was something else bigger than God, that had more control than God, then ultimately God is not the one who could be faithful. He couldn't make that call. But because God is in control of all things, because he is sovereign, because he is, he's able to. Do you see how this, this connection between the sovereignty of God and his faithfulness are, are these, these, these interconnected things? God is so good and he's so big and he can be faithful 
to those who belong to him because ultimately um, he's sovereign. And, and so who is God faithful to? To those who belong to him. And who are those who belong to him? Man, those who have put their faith in Jesus. This is ultimately who God, God is faithful to those of us who have put our hope in Jesus, who've put our hope in Christ. See, the promise of the gospel is that when you and I put our hope in Christ, he's fully dealt with our sin. Sin right, is the thing that separates between us from between us and God. A perfect holy God cannot be near sin. But when we put our faith in Jesus, he became our righteousness. His work on the cross was enough for us to be brought into God's family. Nothing that we could do would earn it. Nothing that we can, we couldn't be good enough. We couldn't uh, say all the right things, but rather the war, finished work of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is ultimately what brings us into the family of God. And if we're brought into the family of God, we belong to him. And you know who God is faithful to? Those who belong to him. So, so if you are in Christ this morning, that's our hope. Don't just gloss over that. Like, and when, when, he, when, the, when the word says that God stood with Paul, think God is standing with you. God is with you if you are in Christ. And, and, and the thing is, the cross is his ultimate reminder of the faithfulness of God. The cross is the ultimate reminder of the faithfulness of God. And it's ultimately why we can trust him because ultimately God sent his son so that we might have life in him so that we can trust him. And when, it, when we are trusting God, even when it's scary, the end goal isn't necessarily the thing that we're trusting in, but trusting in him with, but rather it's more of him, more of his presence. And if trusting him leads to more of that, that's the good that Paul's talking about in Romans 8. More of himself. And so as we think about the sovereignty of God, and his faithfulness to those who belong to him, which is all of us who have put our hope in Christ. If you have not, you don't belong to God. I say that with love and trembling, but that's, that's reality. But for those of us who are in Christ and you belong to him, how might we respond to the sovereignty and faithfulness of God? We'll look again in verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. What does that first part say? The Lord, Joshua spoke to the Lord. How do we respond? We get to go to him. We get to prayer. We get to pray. We get to abide. Joshua knew God was in control because he told him. He trusted him. And I imagine... I don't know when the exact placement of verse 12 might have been right, right before they had the battle. Um, we don't know exactly the chronological, but what we do know is that, the, that, that Joshua stood in front of all Israel who's going to be fighting with him and spoke to the Lord and asked God, would you help us? And the specific request that Joshua, Joshua is actually the one that asked the Lord, hey, can you make the moon and sun stand still until we take vengeance upon the other nations, until we take vengeance on our enemies? More on that next week. But, but we, we see that God listens to Joshua's prayer. God heeded, as the text says, heeded the voice of man. And so, so, so how do we respond to the faithfulness and sovereignty of God is that we get to go to him. We pray, 
We want to be a people of prayer because when we pray and we abide, ultimately prayer is this acknowledgement that I can't do what God can. So God, help me. God, help me. When, when he's calling us to, to turn from a sin and to confess, we, we trust that, that, that ultimately life will be found not in hiding it, but exposing it. And we trust that even in, if we're feeling the fallout or consequences of whatever it is we're confessing and being open and honest with, in the midst of that, it might be painful, but in the midst of the pain, God is with you. He has promised to never abandon you if you are in Christ. And so you are free to confess. You are free to bring that thing out in the open because ultimately at the end of the day, God's promises towards you and being near you is not contingent upon you. It's contingent upon Jesus. And so you are able to confess. And whatever consequences come, know that it is for your good because if it's for your good, ultimately that means you're getting more of him. You are free to confess. So, 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 but all of, all of us, all of, some of you, what this also means is that we can bring our pain and suffering to him. More on this next week, because I know as I look in this room, lots of you have experienced deep just pain and grief and sorrow that, that is just unimaginable. And, and, and I want to tell you, and this is more next week, but I want to tell you that God is not in, in, neutral towards injustice. God is not neutral towards injustice. But trusting God in his sovereignty and faithfulness amidst the pain and suffering that you are feeling, what, what, that, what that looks like is that you can surrender those things to him, that he is with you in the midst of it. It's, it's, it's knowing that he is with you in the midst of the pain. And, and what that, what surrendering uh, our grief and our pain uh, to Jesus means, it does not mean that we can't be sad. Or it doesn't mean that we can't wonder why. It doesn't mean that, that we can't ask questions, but rather when we surrender these things from, we're trusting him with him. And God is big enough to give you the space to feel what you need to feel. If you're sad, be sad. If you're wondering, be wondering. But ultimately when we surrender these things to him in the midst of the grief and our sorrow, where we're knowing that ultimately, Lord, I am not the one in control. You are, you see things that I do not see. Your perspective on life is way bigger than what I can ever even imagine. And so God, I'm gonna trust you with this. I'm hard, this stinks, but Lord, I'm gonna trust you. So for, for us, uh, December was a very hard month for the Carroll family. Um, November was a very exciting month because we were expecting our first child. We were very excited. Um, uh, we've been trying for a little bit and, and, and God has been faithful. But then uh, December, we found out that we had a miscarriage. And, and, and I'll tell you, anger wasn't necessarily an emotion that I felt, but it was more so just shock and sadness and grief. For, for me, because my, my tendency is to be the half full kind of guy. So like, I, if you give me a negative situation, I'm gonna spin it positive. Um, but, but and the reality is that's not helpful. Because when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling sorrowful, like, like God is big enough for us to be in that moment. And that was one of the things that for me that I had to realize was that you can follow and enjoy the presence of Jesus. You can experience joy, but also you can experience deep grief and struggle and suffering at the same time. People are complex. Our emotions are complex. Our feelings are complex. We experience things that are, it causes us to have deep sorrow and deep 
pain, but ultimately when we trust in the sovereignty and faithfulness of God is that he knows that pain. He knows what it's like because ultimately he suffered for us. Because of the suffering of Christ, we can bring our suffering to him. And so, and, and whatever it is, whatever it is that we are learning to trust with God, his, when we know that he is sovereign and in control of all things, and when we know that, that he is faithful, we know that ultimately he's going to be able to help. And so we can get to go to him. So, so we get to go to a savior who is able to help because he is sovereign. God is big enough for our grief. God is big enough to deal with our sin and help us walk through it. And so how do we respond? We get to go to him. We get to seek his presence. We get to experience the joy of knowing him more. And it's in surrendering our control. It's in surrendering this, really this false idea that we are in control. And trusting him is ultimately we'll experience more of him. So ultimately, when we bring more things to God, we'll experience more of God. And, and, and Psalm 121 uh, verses one through two, is a, there's a promise in there. It's a verse that we've heard before. Um, it says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker, in, uh, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? The one who made all things. So the one who made all things is certainly able to help when I'm in, in deep sorrow, when I'm in deep struggle with sin, when I'm experiencing miscarriage, when I'm experiencing broken relationships, when I'm experiencing just this, this, this pain and this, this wonder and this numbness from life. Who is able to help? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's ironically enough, when we surrender and we trust, we actually experience more of him. Because God is in control of all things, because he is sovereign, he is able to help. He is able to help. And so my hope and encouragement for us, go to him. Go to him. What is it you're feeling anxious about right now? What is it that you're feeling fearful of right now? What is it that the Lord might be pressing you to do? Is he pressing you to confess something and confess it to somebody else that might change your world a little bit, that might rock the boat more than you want to? Is he causing you to forgive somebody? Is he causing you to surrender these, these feelings of, of grief? and start to, He's able to help. He is able to help. He is working out all things for the good of those whom he called. And what's the good? More of him. And so as we take communion this morning, and Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, as we take communion this morning, I want communion to be this reminder of his faithfulness to you. Communion is for the believer. So if you have not put your hope and trust in Christ, we ask that you would refrain from taking, but we would ask for you to consider Jesus. We would ask you to consider um, that, uh, the kindness of, of, of this, this Savior, that whatever it is that you're bringing to this room, whatever brokenness, whatever uh, struggle, he is big enough to help you. And when you put your, your faith in him, when you trust him, when you say, God, I cannot do anything to be 
perfect. I can't do anything to fix my cause and my brokenness, but you can. You are brought into his family and you can partake of the Lord's table. But I would ask you, if that's not you, you would consider. But for those of us who are in Christ this morning, would you, would you remind yourself that the, the faithfulness of God is ultimately seen in the cross of Christ? So as you partake of the bread, which symbolizes his broken body, and you drink the juice, which, which symbolizes his spilled blood for you, know that you are partaking in something that's already been done for you. The finished work of Christ on the cross assures you that he is faithful to you. He will not let you go. He will always be with you. He will always help you. We get to experience the faithfulness of Jesus because of the cross of Christ. And the one who is faithful to you is the maker of all things. The maker of heaven and earth. The maker of you. How he's wired you. How he's knit you. How he's put you together, how he's given you your likes and dislikes and how they're different from the person next to you. He made you. He knows you. He's that intimate of a God. You can trust him. You can rest in him. And you can trust that his leading of your, of, of your life is ultimately for your good. God is awake. So breathe and rest in him.